Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. I'm your host, and I am honored once again by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We're coming to you from the sumptuous balcony of my Las Vegas apartment where we have our very elaborate and high-tech recording studios, which consists of my laptop and a headset. We take it to the field. Where do you have some of those most profound conversations, those mastermind-level conversations you're either part of or you're sort of an observer to that give you those little bits of wisdom that can change your life? Sometimes you're sitting outside on your balcony or you're at a coffee shop, a cigar shop, an outdoor cafe, you're down at the park. Sometimes you hear birds chirping in the background. Sometimes you hear vehicles going by. Sometimes you hear the ambient noises of other conversations. So we take you to those places where you've made those discoveries and move you to that place where you could find a fundamental change in your life today. And with that, I'm very excited about who we're going to be speaking with today. And it's going to be on the topic of how to start a highly profitable publishing company. I myself have several clients and friends who are all various versions or degrees of what's known as a book coach or a developmental editor editor, or a ghostwriter or a publisher. So the fact is, is you can actually start your own profitable publishing company. I myself have a publishing company. It's published one book. Funny how that works. Now, who we're going to speak with today, her name is Adriana Monique Alvarez. She's the CEO and founder of AMA Publishing, where she teaches women how to start highly profitable publishing companies. She's an international best-selling author, has been seen in Forbes, Huffington Post, International Living, Addicted to Success, Elephant Journal, Fox, ABC, and NBC. And with that, Adriana, come on in. The weather's fine. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. All right. So I just read off your official bio and some elements of it are so impressive that I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be here. And this is my show. So (laughs) what we like to do here is before we dive in, and I really am curious about this whole thing about starting your own publishing company. I really think this is something our listeners need to hear. Before we do that, tell us a bit in your own words and in your own story version what it is that's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Mm, what brought me here was really my client's desire to share their story and for it not to be as complicated, complex, and drawn out as most traditional publishers make it. And so they wouldn't stop yammering on and on about it. And so I just finally said, fine, let's create solutions And so that's why I started my publishing house. And after the first year, I helped about 125 authors and realized, holy moly, I actually don't know how many more I can do in the second year. And so I decided to train other women how to do what I was doing and actually just started bringing men on. And at the end of our second year, we had helped about a thousand entrepreneurs become international bestselling authors. And so really our clients are the ones who gave us all the ideas. Wow, that's quite interesting. So tell us a bit more about this and why you added that publishing division. You heard, you mentioned something about people just yammering on about something, but tell us more about that. Well, you know, when they had a story to tell, they found that they needed to either pitch themselves or they needed to get an agent. Right. And then it was the timeline, I think, that really discouraged them. It was like, well, it might be one year to three years, and that's just to get a yes. And then we've got to, you know, get into the book aspect and what are we going to change? And then they realized, oh, they actually own this now and they can take parts out and I'm going to lose my voice. And there are some people that were in a position of negotiating just to receive like 10 cents off the sale of every book that was sold. 
And they started looking at themselves going, you know, I thought it was going to feel good, but this is a, not actually what I wanted. I just ten, wanted to share cents. my story. 10 cents off of every dollar. Hell, you do better than that on Amazon Create Space royalties. It, exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, it was just, it's just industry, the publishing industry has just changed so much and it continues to change. And so we have more options now. My own book, which is called Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. I came up with a theme of that as a result of a meeting with my coach. And let's say, I think it was the summer of 2017. So fast forward to the end of the first week of January, 2018, and some stuff got in the way. I hadn't really worked on the project. And I basically realized I had three choices because the title had the word Groundhog Day in it. And Mm -hmm. when's the best day to release anything with the word Groundhog Day in it? February 2nd. Well, here I am, end of the first week of January, faced with two choices. One of which is, is I can put off the project for an entire another year, Mm. or I can change the title of it, which means I lose the overall theme, which I had come to resonate with and had already tested on the marketplace and found it also had resonance with potential buyers. So you know what I did? You wrote it. I went with option three, which is the screw it, let's do it version, where I basically went and disappeared for about five days without telling anybody and came out with a complete manuscript. And we got that thing launched on February 2nd. We got our bestseller badge the same day. Oh, Adam, I wish everybody was like you. I mean, that's that's the thing is that that's how it can be done. And I always tell people, if you're going to drag this out, it's it's like the worst experience ever. Just get in there and get it done. If you, if you know, if you know what you're talking about, then just like you said, hide away and get it out. I'm going to tell you two stories about my books. I want to get your thoughts on these. The first is the greatest review I ever got on the groundhog book was from a friend of mine who did not ever post on Amazon because he wasn't really the type of go online. He's a friend of mine, or was a friend of mine, God rest his soul, who lived right here in Las Vegas, and he attended one of my local book signing events. Mm. He told me a few days later, he was sitting out on his veranda one morning, he had his coffee and his cigar, and he was reading my book, and he just started laughing and couldn't stop laughing, because he could hear my voice as he read the words. <laughs> it, was, it was entirely me. Yes. And, when I, and I say that's one of the greatest reviews I ever got, because... That showed somebody out there understood the point. The purpose of the book was to introduce myself for who I authentically am, knowing that that will attract some people and repel some others. And Mm -hmm. as long as we're getting the right people on the right sides of that equation, we're all set. Now, the Groundhog book is based on the SPRING formula, which is an acronym that stands for a process where you use changes in language, changes in perception, and essentialism and minimalism to maximize your likelihood of business success. Mm. In the S chapter, which is about mindset, actually, the very first section of that, of the S chapter is called, has to do with white line fever, which speaks to, you know how you can look at uh, something you've written and not see the typos? Oh, Yes. And, they, and, and typos can find their way through review and editorial processes and then go to print, and the typo is still there? Oh, yes. I intentionally wrote the first section of that with, I'm not going to say the number, but let's say it's a high double-digit number of typos of both the grammatical and the spelling variety. Somebody who worked for a professional publishing company got a hold of my book and said that they read to page whatever was halfway through that first section. And they said, your book is absolute garbage. We're, we would never touch this. In fact, anybody who ever published this book for you would be full of shit. Hmm. And I asked why. And they said, well, it's, it's, it's amateurishly written. It's full of, it's full of typos and, and, and grammatical errors. And I said, let me guess. You read halfway through the section on white line fever. Did you literally turn the page and see the explanation of what I had just done? And the invitation to actually contact me and make a guess of how many errors were in that section. The whole point being that you're going to miss some, thus the whole concept of white line fever. Mm. I bring that up to you 
because I wonder if that is somehow indicative of what people may have run into somewhere along the line dealing with traditional publishers. Absolutely. Don't, this is one of my soapboxes. And I tell people, this is the, exactly what you just said. And, and also, you know, by the way, this is one of the things I love about books is that it's a human process. There's a human being writing, there's human beings editing, formatting, and all the way through, even if you use pump it through some software, there are things that are going to be missed. And I remember hearing about Paulo Coelho saying, you know, that he all the time has people sending him emails and whatnot. You've got to type on this page. And he's like, yeah, that's just part of the process. And if that is going to be a stumbling block, you know, we have to really like look at ourselves and go, am I willing to let myself miss the entire point of this? Because I can't get over, you know, like you said, a grammatical error. And, but yeah, this is the stuff that, you know, it's, it's like we've missed the whole point. The entire sec point of that section of that chapter was to illustrate how many typos and grammatical errors slide by right by us. Yes. And, the, and what I was bringing up to you is, somebody working for a traditional publisher read half of that section and oh, then yeah. just dismissed the entire book. Oh yeah. Because here's the thing. Um, they, they actually, you know, it's their job to go in with that cr really critical eye. And I, I have to say, like, I just don't, I don't a hundred percent, um, you know, get it because I have a, the opposite approach. It's, it's like, you know what, this person has something to say, and if you're not even willing to read the book and to go all the way through the process, then how can you say that you're giving them a fair shake? And this is honestly what happens with women all the time. So the statistic yeah. is, is that eight times more, you know, we're going to get rejected eight times more. And it's it's this kind of attitude. And I'm not sure, but it, it just, it almost feels like old school publishing was really built on sort of like the superiority and this, you know, this is the elite club. And, and I would agree, you know, it's like, if you're not going to read the whole chapter and turn the page, you know, you're, you're not giving this person a fair shot. Literally, all they had to do was turn the page and they would have seen that entire section was in and of itself a lesson. In fact, if they had bothered to ask me one question about it, mm. I would have told them that after I wrote that section, I went back and inserted more errors <laughs> because that was the point, the concept of white line fever, which is borrowed from, have you ever taken a long drive or you've driven a place where you drive frequently? Like, let's say it's the, it's the journey between your office and your home or the supermarket and some other place you go and you drive along for like 10 or 15 minutes. You don't remember a word of it, but somehow you got there safe and sound. Oh yeah. Oh, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the same with writing your own stuff. And it's the same with having reviewers and editors who are also involved in the creative process. After a short period of time, you begin to see what you, th what you want to be that have be there versus what's actually there. It's mm, so true. That was the whole point of that, that subsection. So I see that first of all, with the traditional publishing model, and again, I know fr have, I have friends who are involved in traditional publishing, so I'm not, putting them down necessarily. And I know that with some traditional publishers, you get access to resources you simply don't get from self-publishing or having your own publishing label. However, what I want you to help us dispel, because I know this already, but I want to rely on you, Adriana, as an expert in this, is that when you have your own label or you have your own publishing company, you have access to a greater percentage of these types of resources than one might believe. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And I think this is what I like to open people's minds to is there are reasons to go each route. But if we automatically think that all of the resources and all the pros are on the traditional side, we're, we're missing it. And and also it depends on what somebody values. Right. If they if they simply know that they want a big name associated with their book and they want to be able to say so and so published me and they really don't care about any of the other factors, that's the right way to go. However, if they value a relationship or they want to make, you know, have the, the rights to what goes in there and they want to own the book and they want to have some control and they want to do this, that, and the other, then they go the other way. And so really it's about looking at, like, 
honestly, I love how you said it. There's so many resources available on the self-publishing side, but I think that people often miss it. Yeah. And one thing I want to point out is that when people get involved with these traditional publishing deals, do they really get help marketing the book? They do not. Aha. Uh-huh. That's this, something we haven't covered on this show in a while. You may have some big publishing deal, but that doesn't mean that you get any help selling the book whatsoever. No. And this is, I think, what people assume. Like, of course, that's going to happen. That's part of the deal. And it really doesn't. And one of the things that I, like, I have people that come to me, uh, sometimes they come to me when they're starting off the process, but usually they come to me after they have like one nightmare story. And what they realize is like, you know, that, that email list or that audience or the marketing or whatever, it's actually not something you can assume. You have to have that conversation. And I had a lady come to me and if I said the name of the publishing house, like everyone would know who it is. Right. And they did quote unquote, send an email out with her book, but because the audience didn't have any connection to her and there was no sort of gradual buildup or process, it actually did not result in any spike in book sales because people need to be connected to the author. They need to be connected to the story. And that did not happen through one email blast. Right. I also see that there's to this day an aversion to releasing content of the book before it's published. They say, why would somebody want to buy my book if they can just go find it? If they can just go find all the blog posts I wrote to create that book. To me, that's a ridiculous idea. I agree. I say, take your audience on the journey. Um, Uh This is part of, you know, like you said, whether it's sharing bits and pieces, sharing the background, giving them some insight, making them feel like they're in that insider circle. This is really key. And the thing is, is, it it's actually has the opposite effect. People actually have an invested, like they feel invested in your book and in your mission and your vision in your whole process. And so they're actually more likely to buy it. And it's not about if they read it here or there, like just as an example, I've shared a lot of my journey of having a full-term stillbirth over the last four years. And I just finished my book on it last Friday and somebody, I sent her the manuscript just for some early feedback. And she said, you know, I've been listening to your stories. I've been reading your social media posts, your emails for four years. And this is a completely different experience, but it's also why I was so intrigued. And I, I sat down and I just read it all in one go because you had already pulled me in. Yeah. I like to tell people how I created the Groundhog book. I actually Went through a three-year period in my life, and I've shared this so many times on the Business Creators Radio Show. I went through a three-year period in my life where I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I had a business. I had clients. I had fun working with those clients, but I didn't know what business I wanted to grow, so I didn't know what to market. I had nothing to market except for one thing, this show that we're on right now, the Business Creators Radio Show. Hmm. And so fast forward three years. And I had begun writing these long posts on my social media. And sometimes I would go into discussion groups and I would make these really detailed replies to, co- to people's uh, shares inside discussion groups. All these things basically constituted content. Mm. A friend of mine said that he loved stopping by my LinkedIn and my Facebook to get his dose of the daily Adam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I did a check. There are several daily atoms out there. So I'm thinking, okay, let's make it the morning atom. Let's see what happens there. Well, there was a morning atom out there, but uh, there was nothing that I could locate any way that was registered for trademark or copyright. And this morning atom I saw hadn't published anything in four years. Okay, so I put up a website called The Morning Atom. It was a simple WordPress website. And the idea was every time I wrote something profound, I transposed it over as a blog post. Then I created a bunch of followings inside a fan page and shared the content with my audience as I went to figure out which types of content, which themes, which tonalities got the best engagement from the people I wanted to engage. Mm. So the entire book was basically already out there before I published it. 
I love that. Now you can say that, oh, well, I could just go read the, I could just go to your blog and just read the blog and eventually I'd have the whole book. All right. So knowing that a lot of published authors out there basically took collections of their blog posts, wrote the, put those in Word documents, and then overlaid a theme that to create cohesion among those various thoughts, publishes a book. How many of those blogs have you just gone through and read? Mm. Versus how many books have you picked up and read? Very true. It's the packaging. Yes. It's the packaging and the theme. All, and I think there's over 70 of them, segments of Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy. I'd actually have to go back and count, but I know it's over 70. We're 70 different pieces of content spread over two different websites. Yeah. See, that's a completely different experience. Yeah, you yeah, you can get that for free. Yeah, yeah. go ahead. Go try and find it. <laughs> exactly. It it is very inconvenient, you know? Right. No, I, I completely agree with you. And and this is the thing that I think about as well, is you know, you you nailed it because when you put together a book, it's when you really begin to weave it all together. And and you create something that meshes and is cohesive. And that's why reading a book is a completely different experience. Yeah. So let's get into this whole thing and tell us here in 2022 or, and if somebody's listening to this three years from now, bear in mind, this is a a capsule moment in time, but I am putting a timestamp on this one because things tend to evolve. How does one actually go about becoming a bestseller these days? There have been some changes in how Al- and how Amazon rates bestsellers, and there are some different strategies involved in it. But in general, how does one go about achieving bestseller? When I did it in 2018, it was just a matter of getting a whole bunch of people to buy my book uh, in Kindle format on the same day and having assigned that Kindle version of my book to a subcategory of a subcategory where I was pretty much guaranteed to win as long as I sold any at all. But I know yeah. it's a little I know it's a little different these days, but it's still extremely achievable. Yeah, it is. And really the the way I think of it is it's a, all about having a plan. So when I speak to authors, I always ask them what's their definition of success. For a lot of them, it is that best-selling author. And so what we do is we look at yes, category selection is really important. Um, but also how prepared are they? How prepared are their audience? And so I love to have, you know, a launch day plan that's not that different from what you described, but also an ongoing plan. So just as an example, I'm working with a client right now and I'm having her put into place. Okay, so who are the 50 people that are going to leave you a five star review, you know, in those first few days? Who who is going to be sharing it in the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day? Right. And then when we launch the paperback, it's almost just a repeat of this entire launch. And not only who's going to buy one copy, but who's committed to buying 10 or maybe 25 or 50. And so there's so many ways to approach it, but I always like to overshoot this, Uh, not only for bestseller status, but because most of my clients as well, they want this to lead to something. They want to sell out a retreat. They want it to lead to coaching clients. They want to get on podcasts. And that's a whole nother thing that we look at. Okay. So what are the you know, 25 podcasts that you're going to be on from launch and then to, right. the out, you know, so we, we create a 12 month plan. So yes, we hit the mark, but also we keep that ball rolling and create that momentum. So a lot of our clients will stay on that list for, you know, an extended period of time because we have a more extensive plan. Our show right here is actually a fairly, common stop for authors on their way to bestseller status. And you showed that there's actually a holistic strategy here. And we're thinking beyond just simply the bestseller. I know somebody who works with folks to get their books published, who tells them to not even worry about the bestseller thing, put it on Amazon so it can be on Amazon. But the idea is you just simply want to sell copies to your website. And I candidly have a book that I'm planning where I'm not even sure we're going to put it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. We may only make it available through the website for the reason that we may decide that we're going to leverage this one strictly for lead generation. But mm-hmm. that's an that's an option we have the right to exercise. We also have the right to exercise the option to only actively sell it through our website. However, put it on 
other distributors in case somebody wants to pick it up there. Yes, absolutely. And like you said, there's a strategy for all the above. And all that matters is that this is giving you what you want. That's really what we want to look at. Right. So becomes a matter of the entrepreneur's own journey and what they're looking to accomplish is what I keep hearing here. And I love how you highlight that it's above and beyond just selling the books. I like to cite, and I may butcher the exact number here. I know it's from Guy Kawasaki. I'm getting the author right. He said that most business books never sell more than 500 copies, or it might have been 250. I'd have to look up the exact quote, but it's some really no, low number like that. And he was basing it on analysis, statistics, and possibly, candidly, even the sales of some of his own books, for all we know. Mm. So think about that. Is that plausible? that many business books never sell more than 500 copies? I think it's totally possible if people don't have a an extensive long-term plan and it's just, I got it on Amazon and yay, um, it could totally be the case because the way I see books is people, you know, they get so involved in writing the book and it it takes a lot of focus and energy and all this. And so when they finish, they actually think that's the finish line when it's actually the starting point. And ah. so- yeah, it could definitely be true. Yeah, I love how you say that. It could be, it's actually the starting point. Mm. We have these myths out there of people who publish books and become multimillionaires off the book. And I don't even think some of your most famous authors really made their money off the book itself. I believe it was something that flowed from being the authors of those books. Definitely. Uh, like, you know, you have like for me, it's about what you sell on the back end of that. Just as an example, the first book that I was a part of, it was one of these collaboration books. I was with like fifteen or twenty other people, yeah. and I I was told, hey, you know, you should promote something in the time after. So I promoted something, a program I had for three weeks after, and then everyone who bought from that, I offered them another offer, and then I offered a high end at the end of that. So in the six months after this book launched, I made $86,000. And so it wasn't $86,000 in book sales. It was because of what I was promoting on the back end of the launch. Yeah. I myself participated in one of those. I participated in one of the journeys to success books from that series created by the late Tom Cunningham. Mm -hmm. I participated in the millennial edition where the editor or the managing editor for that particular edition was my friend Brad Zollis, who's the author of Liquid Leadership. I remember at the time the deal was, is I had the opportunity to submit a 3,500-word chapter, and it cost me $500 to participate. Mm -hmm. Well, $3,500 uh, 3, words, I, I can do that over two cigars on a warm afternoon. <laughs> nothing. And all, and all I was doing was just telling a polished story version of a story that I'd told a thousand times already. How hard was that? Mm. I became part of a community where I've made friends that have endured to this day. I've gotten clients out of the deal. And my entire investment was $500. Plus, I agreed that on launch day, I would buy a box of books, there you go. which was another 220 bucks because I was availed of the wholesale rate through CreateSpace. Mm -hmm. That's nothing. That's peanuts. It, it's the truth. And, and but, this the, but, the, but the fact that the notoriety yeah. from me participating in that book led to, me get, led to me getting three clients more than paid off, to, in my estimation. I think when I did the numbers, it was something like 13 to 1. There you go. But they say these anthology books are bad. And I got all this advice saying, don't participate in that anthology book. That's stupid. Just write your own book. It's like, it's like, I'm working on writing my own book, but this is a shortcut to bestseller status. And imagine, imagine how much bigger my own book launch is going to be when I can say I'm already an Amazon international bestseller. It's true. You know, you also brought up the point that I love to focus on with these type of collaboration books is the networking and the referral circle that's built into that. And then, you know, you have their support for the next thing. Yeah, for me, it's invaluable. If you actually take up, you know, everything that's there and you participate, I mean, I have clients who've been in our books and just from the other authors that were in that one book, 
they might get 10 or 20 clients. I actually had a woman in the first collaboration book that I produced. And in one year, she sent me over 50 clients. Right. It's, you know, is there a better way to do business? I mean, that just makes it easy. It's another stream of referrals and revenue. Yes. It doesn't become your be all and end all. A friend of mine was later approached by one of the managing editors of another book in the Journeys to Success series. She took the idea to her mastermind and they all bashed the idea that she would even consider that, except for me. And I said, hey, look, all you have to do is it's what, 500 bucks plus they want you to buy a box of books. Is that about right? 3,500 words. Oh, well, here, I just went to your blog. I found seven posts, put them in this order. This basically creates a chapter for you. I did a word count. You're at 3,200. Spend an hour, turn this into a chapter, submit it. And if you get one client at your existing rates out of doing this, you'll have a six to one ROI. So now tell me why you shouldn't do it. Mm. I, I need you uh, doing all my sales calls. Hey, and then, you know, this leads to another thing. And this is another reason why I think it's important to help people be able to publish your books most effectively and most efficiently is just the idea that having a book gives you the credibility to have these conversations, particularly when it comes to sales calls. So tell us just candidly, I mean, we're discussing the idea of creating a highly profitable publishing company. So let's get into that in the time we have left here is what actually is involved in creating a publishing company? Is it just naming it and saying you have one or is there more to it? Well, I mean, you could name it and say you have it, but I I prefer the types of businesses that generate a lot of cash. And so that's the main thing that I focus on. There's a few, you know, this is how I would set it up. This is how I, I would approach it. But the majority of our certification is in how are you going to consistently be the person that people come to? How is this going to become a cash cow for you? And then how do you build out your team? So, you know, you're not editing every book and all that kind of stuff. And so it's this whole process that I take them through so that they can actually sit in the seat of CEO and have income coming in all the time. And then we also teach them, you know, what's the upsell. So if you start with the collaboration, then you can upsell into the solo. If you want to start with the solo, this is the way we would go. So, you know, positioning, marketing, strategy, all of that is really like the core of it. And the rest of it sort of circles around and supports it. It's like most other things, a matter of how you build a business and have the leverage. Absolutely. And, right. you know, if people follow what I teach in the certification, they, they can profit about 50000 for every collaboration book they produce. They can figure out how to partner with others. They can figure out how to, you know, keep their overhead in a place that keeps them profitable. I mean, there's there, all of those things are covered. But the thing that I find is kind of like what we talked about with the blog post versus the book is a lot of times people will come in and they already have experience in something else. This is like an additional stream of income for them. They know their audience would love this opportunity. Um, but just having it all in one place gives them the confidence to really run with it. And that's what this is about. So it's the idea that having the infrastructure, having the plan gives them the confidence to actually do it. And I'm going to use, for lack of a better phrase, as opposed to simply declaring you have a publishing company. Absolutely. It's the truth. It's like the confidence is everything. Like I have people and they're just like, you know, really what we do in business and it happens through the mentorship that we choose is we buy into other people's confidence. We buy into their track record. You know, we buy into their experience until we create our own. And this is, I find, especially since I started off with women, this is so important for women. Most of my clients, you know, they're homeschooling kids, they're traveling full time, they're they're wearing a lot of hats. And so when they hear someone say, if you do it like this way, it works. We've taken all of these people through it. We have a 100% track record. You know, just get in and go. They do it. And they completely just run with it and change their life because they know they have the backing and support there. Right. 
I think that's great. So what do you see right now as being the future of publishing? I know we're going to start with a very broad question, and then we'll narrow it down a bit. Mm, the future of publishing. Well, my hope is the future of publishing is a lot less censored, um, where people are thinking long-term, like we talked about. I right. I see publishing becoming this, this really key component to business because I feel like more and more the relationship element, that trust, that journey, the what else do I have in common with you other than I'm interested in the thing you sell, all of these are going to make writing a book and on an ongoing marketing plan really valuable for the person who wants to grow their business, who wants to scale their business and doesn't just want to do it because they offer a specific service, but because like you said, they actually want their clear voice to come through and have their truest, most loyal audience step forward and go on the journey with them. Yeah. When I set out to do my book, I wasn't doing it with the idea that I was just checking off a box saying, Hey, look, I have a book now. Exactly. What did I what did I say my greatest review was? It was that one that never actually made it to Amazon, but it was my friend who read five pages and just busted out laughing because he knew that was exactly how I spoke. He That's could it. hear my voice in the words. And I knew I'd accomplished my goal because I was getting this feedback from somebody who had the perspective of getting a sense of my actual authentic personality. Exactly. And my book is as much a client attraction tool is it is a screening tool. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is, is if people are willing to share their story and maintain their voice, it's going to take care of all of that for you. The people who step up and they actually contact you or they start following you another way. Like you said, Oh, congratulations. You know, you made it through the screening process. So we actually could gel and we would like working together. Right. The book itself is part of the screening process. Going back to what I said about that major publishing company that I didn't even ask their opinion. Let's be clear on that. I never asked them what they thought. They went off on their own and probably went to Amazon and bought a copy of my book and decided and decided to pick ra three random pages of it to read and then make a completely off-the-wall judgment with no context and no effort to actually understand the book whatsoever. I have a, a they would not be my target audience. No, they would not. Yeah. They would never they they would be awful to work with. And and it's so true. It's like, you know, the people who make it through, it it's the people who actually get you and appreciate you and value you and and could laugh and could sink their teeth in. That's what I love about books is because, you know, I read this thing once that said, if people spend an equivalent of 10 hours with you, and that's often, you know, what a book right. is. That's they, what it is. Yeah. Right. They know for sure, like, oh my goodness, this is the person I've been looking for or not. And this is what we want because that saves us a lot of time in the sales process. Right. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, and you know, the thing is, and it's funny, we've been doing this stuff for years. In your many, many years of experience as a marketer, as somebody who has possibly been in other businesses as well, Adriana, have you ever had somebody just completely come out of the blue and just attack something you were doing? You never heard of this person, but they decided that you needed to hear some constructive criticism because you were making big mistakes that were ruining your business. Oh yeah. What happened to you? Um, a few times. I have I actually have a special name for those people. I call them jackhole jackies. Um, because like you said, they, they're never participating, they never show up, and then suddenly they know everything. And half the time, I shouldn't even say half the time, almost all the time, they actually aren't running a successful business. You know, they're sitting up in the stands and they're not on the field. And you know, after a while, they used to really get to me. And then after a while, uh -huh. you just realize, oh my goodness, this is, I have a teacher that often tells me, you know, if you can laugh at the absurdities, you know, it's, it get, all gets a lot easier. And for me, that's what I file it under. Like, oh, isn't that curious? These people, this is just, you know, one of those things. And being online is, you know, it's, it's like putting that on 10. You know, I used to be offline, <laughs> B&I and Chamber. At least those people weren't lunatics. But when you get online, it's like, you know, it's the wild west out there. I think it's important to have this conversation because 
this goes to the mindset of creating a publishing company and putting yourself, whether you're creating a publishing company simply to represent your own books, like if you plan to do a series for yourself, if you are the leader of a mastermind and you want to become the publisher of choice for your own clients because your VIP program includes will publish your book for you, which is a viable way to leverage a publishing company, uh, or you're doing it just so that you can say you're in publishing, which it's not ideal, but it's there. Here are two little mindset stories I love to tell. These did not make it into my book because in one case, it happened after my book was published. And in the other case, just for interest of time, I had to be ruthless and starting to cut out some, some of this stuff and maybe save it up for another book. All right. I had a client years ago who was uh, selling an online program. I believe it was something like $997 to sign up for it. And it was a three-day interactive experience, blah, 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 blah. And uh, somebody emailed them out of the blue, accusing them of criminal and unethical business practices because they didn't list the price of the event. Oh, boy. It's like, okay, A, they did. And B, you literally cannot check out of something that requires online registration without there, without there being a price attached to it, because otherwise, how does the merchant processor know how much money to take off the credit card? Hmm. And this client call all up in the fields, fields of, oh, we have to, we have to check everything to make sure that we're not putting it out there, that we're unethical. We got to reread all of our copy and we really need to do damage control with this person. It's like, okay, whatever. So hmm. a week later, the same client is wondering how they can get more people to sign up for their program. And naturally their thoughts turn to, well, maybe we should go to that person who, who wrote about our unethical practice. Maybe we should offer her a discount and oh. maybe we should even invite her for free as a, as a, as, as a gesture of goodwill. And mm-hmm. I said, you know what? It's not going to be a problem. We took care of her. And the client said, oh, what did you do? Did you, did you invite her for free? Um, did you apologize? Can I see a copy of it? I said, no, we took care of it. Well, what does that mean you took care of it? We deleted and blocked her. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> People like that are not going to buy. Uh, no. If they, were, if they were taking action, they would have either bought or just gone on to somebody else. They, they would have looked at that and said, oh, well, I'm not reading closely enough to see a price here. So I don't know. Maybe this one isn't for me. I'll just go somewhere else. Or maybe I don't need this today. That's how a successful person thinks. Exactly. A successful person says no 95% of the time. And they put all their energy into the 5% of the time they say yes. Yeah. You know, this is one of the problems is catering to people like this or giving them an inch or, you know, apologizing and thanking them and then giving them their way in so that then they can become your biggest nightmare for the next however long. And this is, this is what I see that happens all the time online is people actually get afraid when, when people like this show up because they're like, Oh my goodness, you know, they're going to ruin my reputation. They're going to tell people. And I, I have to tell you, This is exactly how I felt the first time I got a true hater online. Uh I mean, I mean, they went to town. Okay, I have one. uh, Tell me your story because I had one of those. Oh, oh my goodness! So, well, basically, what happened is when we decided to leave the U.S. and travel full time as a family, a particular person who was following us um, and had been in one of our masterminds decided that that meant we were unethical, right? Um, I believe um, charlatan is the exact word that was used because we didn't have any business traveling. We weren't retirement age. So, you know, people who travel the world and do business online, they're all scam artists. And so, I mean, he just went to town and I was like Uh crying to my husband and he literally looked at me and he said, do you think this is going to have any impact on your business and what you have built and who you are? And of course, you know, obviously I was in that state of mind because I was believing that. And I will tell you, um, you know, these types of people, number one, they have a very small circle. They overestimate their influence. But number two, it's really all within us. It's not about, oh, my goodness, what's this person outside of me going to do to me? No, who am I? Who do I know I am? What am I here to do? And can I keep my focus and stop? looking at this jackhole long enough to just do the work I know I'm here to do. And that's what it takes. 
I had somebody who used to follow me when I was in the business of website conversion consulting. I had somebody follow me around on LinkedIn and find posts that I made and just start stupid arguments with me. And the first two times I fell for it. And then the third time, when they tried the third time, I said, look, to everybody else who's listening, um, this, this poser who has never actually done website conversion consulting, you can tell by, by looking at their website, you can see they don't even know what it is, has attempted to build themselves up by attacking me here, here, and here with all these stupid non sequitur straw man arguments. And I even put post to it. So for everybody else, if you'd like to discuss how to increase your website conversions, contact me. But I'm stating definitively at this point that I am done with this person forever. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the thing, well, that, well, that took care of it. And I have one other really funny one. I did have a prospect show up on my radar screen. This was a little over 10 years ago. Uh, the person, for some reason, insisted that I be the one to initiate the phone call. Now, most of the time when people schedule with me, they either log into a Zoom room or they call me. Mm. But sometimes I get somebody who maybe the issue is they're going to be driving at the time and they're using their drive time to get phone calls done and they don't want to be and they want to you know, remain hands-free and not have to dial while driving. You know, it's not an ego thing. It's not a big deal. Fine, give me the number, I'll call. No, no big deal. I get alerts, I'll know when to do it. So this person gives us the wrong phone number, and then they don't have their phone number posted anywhere on their website. So I try and dial the number, and then, I mean, what can I do? I send an email saying, hey, tried to call, couldn't get through. Within 10 minutes, they're contacting my assistant and the firm I was working with at the time to assist with my marketing, complaining that I'm incompetent and stupid, don't know how to dial a phone number, don't uphold my commitments, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And when it was told to them that they that, that uh, they gave us the wrong number, they said, well, yeah, he should have known. Mm. So I just wrote that one off, right? <laughs> a couple of weeks later, and this is back before podcasting became a thing, and I used to release these weekly videos called the Monday Marketing Moments. One of them was called Holy Hemostat, mm-hmm. and it was about social media gaffes. Holy Hemostat is what's known as a Colonel Potterism from the character on the TV show MASH who would have these, these really hilarious exclamations when he got excited about something, and one of them was Holy Hemostat. Well, this person who had got, who'd caused all this drama for us for some reason was still on our mailing list and sent me this insane rambling about how I was a hypocrite and a blasphemer because hemostats aren't holy. And they said, people were watching what you're doing. And because you take the Lord's name in vain and blaspheme, you're going to see lots of people disengaging from you. Mm. And uh, this is one of those times when the empire does strike back. And I wrote back, I have it somewhere, but I'm just going to paraphrase it. It was a bit longer than this. Basically I said, first of all, we disengaged from you when you blamed us for you not knowing your own phone number. Second, second, we as an organization do not tolerate any sort of bigotry based on any categorization at all. So your attacks on the sacred order, the sacred order of the holy hemostat, which is dedicated to stopping the blood, the bloodshed and increasing the peace throughout the world, will not be tolerated here and are not welcome. Third, nobody listens to you anyway. Fourth, anybody who does listen to you, we don't want. Mm. <laughs> sometimes you sometimes you hit back. I don't recommend the strategy. And the reason I like to share these stories, particularly since we got into this whole thing about the mindset of it, is declaring yourself to be in the publishing business, writing a book, publishing a book, letting your own voice be out there, helping others put their own voices out there. Ooh, we didn't discuss that. Mm-hmm. Now you're letting other people trust you with their voice. Mm-hmm. Ooh. You got to learn how to laugh at some of these. Uh, what'd you call them? Uh, jackhole Jackies. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I, have, I have different words I use for them, but okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. And you know, this, you actually bring up, this is, the most important thing, like people learn the steps and, and this is no matter, you know, the kind of business 
is irrelevant. It's like, you have to figure out how to stand up straight and learn how to deal with different types of people. And who are you going to be when people like this show up? Because let me tell you, the thing I've learned is they can smell from a mile away. You know, if there's any way that there's, you know, that they can sort of push you over or push you around. And I agree, like, I I don't necessarily want to be online, you know, um, getting in fistfights. But the thing of it is, is there is this need to be able to carry yourself and speak in a way and run your business that everyone gets the clear message. That's not, that's not welcome here. I will not tolerate that much less accommodate it, you know? Yeah. I've, I've had people try and like when I'm on social media, try and start these arguments about social issues and politics and things like that. Uh, or sometimes I'll reply to somebody's discussion thread uh, and then some random jackhole Jackie jumps in. I'm going to start using that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you might want you might want to file a copyright on that before a lot of other people start using it. And uh, I remember in one case, this person who I never even heard of thought they'd written this long, devastating attack on me. And I just replied, I don't wish to discuss this with you. And then they and then they replied with some entitled rant about how they were owed an explanation because if I choose to participate in social media, I need to learn how to deal with constructive criticism. And by the way, I I basically lack, lack manners, and I replied to that, "No means no." Do you understand consent and boundaries? Oh snap! Yeah, that was good. And then uh, and then the one I re- re- usually use. See that one I just told you is an extreme case, but the one I usually use is uh, let's say. Let's say I was replying to something that you wrote on, we'll just say Facebook, right? So you make a comment about something and I reply to it. And then Jack Cole Jackie shows up and tries to argue with me. I'll basically say something like, this is an A-B conversation. Adrian is A, I'm B, see yourself out. Exactly. Oh, I love it. Sometimes the empire has to strike back. And I hope that something about this little segue we took here helps people gain the confidence if they're wondering to this day, why would somebody want to read my book? What do I have to contribute? Uh, I don't know anything about that topic. Nobody Mm -hmm. would take me seriously. It's true. And this is what I'm always here to champion and like, you know, give a swift kick up the bum is like, listen, if you are continuously going to question yourself and doubt yourself, there's no way that you're going to be satisfied with your life. If you have something to do, if you have something to say, move forward on it. You know, otherwise we get to the end of our days and we have tons of regret. And I know if it's in someone's heart, if it's even an inkling and a possibility in their mind, then they have everything necessary to complete it. Then they need to move forward because like you said, I can't bring their message. They need to bring it. And that's what this is about. Every single one of us has a responsibility to our story, to our expertise, to what is inside of us. And we're either going to be committed to that or not. We have about five minutes left here. So I want to jump into one other thing. Since we're talking about starting publishing companies and there is a natural segue between that and doing book coaching, ghostwriting, developmental editing. What about... The person who has more money than time, mm-hmm. could they or should they trust either a ghostwriter or somebody who can take their content and distill it into a coherent whole? You know, I would say that there's a couple of things I would consider is making sure that you really click gel and bond with the person that you hire. Like you really feel like they get you. Uh And what I always tell people is if you're going to hire a ghostwriter, do point them to something you've written, right? What, where can they go? Is it social media? Is it some emails? Uh And then make sure that you get on video at least once with them. So one of the things that we've done in the past is actually get the the author on zoom and ask them some questions and get them talking so that the ghostwriter gets a feel for their tone and their personality, and then make sure there's some back and forth. One of the things that I tell people is it's, if you really want your voice to come through, it's not just as easy as throwing them a job and making an exit. 
if it's going to be really good, there's going to be some back and forth. You might not write every word, but you're going to need to check in from time to time and have some sort of input. I, I feel like that creates the best outcome for everybody. I have done some of this work where I actually write in other people's voices. And some of the people I've written for, you would not believe. I have a basic role. Uh, if I were to take on it, I'm not looking for those clients right now, but if I were to look for that again, here's the process we used to follow before. For 30 days, uh, the clients would actually be required to review everything I wrote. Mm. They would need to review it and approve either as is or with edits, not dispute or argue, approve as is or with edits within one business day or it would go out as I wrote it. Mm-hmm. So they had, they had to come across. And for 30 days, they had that one business day window to do it. After the 30 days, they did not get to participate at all in the writing and creation process. And they had exactly one card they could play per month where they could contact me and say, eh, I probably would have written this differently. The reason I did it that way was to filter out the people who could never find themselves from where they were at that point, able to trust somebody else with their voice mm-hmm. and who were unwilling to do the work to prepare somebody to use their voice. I, I because, think- because if I wanted my voice conveyed a certain way and somebody told me that for 30 days, uh, I was going to have 30 opportunities to give them feedback on how I speak. You're damn right. I'm taking every single one of them. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I think it's a genius approach. And this is one of the things that's rarely talked about is, is, you know, oftentimes ghostwriters, they charge high rates um, because it can turn into a nightmare, right? The, this oh, yeah. type of client. I mean, you, you can't have it both ways. This is when clients express an interest in ghostwriting. I tell them you can't have it both ways. You can't say you're too busy to write it. And then not give this person what they need or yep. constantly criticize it, but not offer, you know, any help along the way. It's like, you know, if, if I'm honest, this is usually a red flag for, you know, sort of that pain in the ass client, because it's like, you can't expect it any other way. And I love that you created boundaries in there because the other thing that I've noticed with these types of projects is they can go on for eternity because it's right. just never quite good enough. It's not perfect enough. Yeah. Very early, very early in my journey, and this is over 15 years ago, I had a client who insisted on reviewing everything, and then it would take forever to review it, and then it would say, oh, I don't like it. Mm. And I would say, what don't you like about it? What would you like? And he said, well, I don't know. That's not my job. You just have to keep creating things and giving them to me until you figure out what I like. And I say, well, you know what, Ashley, I think I'm going to fire you now. Right. <laughs> yeah. Because, because, because I'm not going to keep guessing. And in fact, and in fact, if you want me to stay here, then the way we're going to do this is whatever I create is perfect. Mm. It's, it's true. You know, unfortunately I would say I've seen that as well. And that's not what writing a book is, is having someone else stab in the dark and just keep creating it for you until it's somehow a magical Cinderella glass slipper fit. It it doesn't work like that. And this is the thing. Cinderella is a fairy tale for a reason. Yeah, exactly. And I honestly think that one of the things that happened in the publishing industry a long time ago is people really romanticize books. There's nothing romantic about writing a book. You know, it's it's like labor and delivery for a woman and, you know, giving birth. It is very messy. It's going to take all you got and you've got to show up fully. Otherwise, it's not going to go well. Right. That's right. So I would like to point out one final thing before I turn the floor over to you for just one more moment as we wrap up here. Um, Writing a book itself, getting published itself is not the most romantic thing. But what is romantic is that long walk to the bank once you monetize it. And within our conversation today, I know for our listeners, this is one that was a bit meandering. But remember, these are the mastermind conversations. They're not Q&As. They're mutual inspiration where ideas come up as they come up. Immerse yourself, subscribe to the show, listen to it a couple of times. You're going to find mindset, confidence, strategy, practical applications for writing and publishing your book and becoming a book publisher. It's all there. 
But as we wrap up, Adriana, if you could tell us a bit about uh, how somebody gets a hold of you and what they have looked forward to look forward to once they do, that'd be fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So they can find me at my full name, AdrianaMoniqueAlvarez.com. They can also connect with me on Facebook and LinkedIn. And really what people can expect, honestly, is that I'm always going to see what's possible for them. And I'm always going to ask them to do their best because when that comes together, when someone can see what's possible for you and you always do your best, absolute magic unfolds. And it's like, if you're willing to go there, if you're willing to stretch and dream, I can help you make those dreams come true. And having that support makes all the difference. Right. Precisely. So I do encourage people to visit that website. It's in the notes for our episode as it's published here at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, which is on our website. The website for Adriana is Adriana, A-D-R-I-A-N-A, Monique, M-O-N-I-Q-U-E, Alvarez, A-L-V-A-R-E-Z.com. That's one long URL, Adriana Monique Alvarez.com. With that, Adriana, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.